What's up? Welcome, everybody, to the final episode, to episode 10 of season two, it's hard to believe, of Journeys into Whiteness. I'm your host, as always, Jimmy Lincoln. And with the end of this episode, our journey will have wrapped up discussions of my childhood. That was season one. And now my adolescent years, middle school and high school. Season three, just a little preview, a little teaser. Is going to look at my college years, my 20s. And then season four is going to look at my adulthood. So I don't know if we're going to make it to those hundreds of episodes that I, at one point, very naively, optimistically, hopefully, had talked about. But I do think, I know, I don't think, I know that we're only about halfway through our journey. And so, like always, if you're a new listener, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for checking us out. If you're a faithful listener, a repeat listener, a return listener, thank you for staying with me on the journey. And as I kind of mentioned a second ago, we're about halfway through. And today's episode, scratch that, scratch that, I just forgot. There's one thing I got to talk about before we get to today's episode, but I'm really excited slash really nervous about today's episode. I know I say that all the time. And so <laughs> some of y'all are like, damn, you can't be excited and nervous about every episode. But I am because that's the nature of this topic. That's the nature of a white man exploring issues of white privilege and white supremacy and racism and putting myself as much as I can at the center of the story, putting my own experiences at the center of the story and and filtering discussions of race and white supremacy and systemic racism through my own experiences. But before we get to today's episode, which is going to tie a nice knot, I think, in many ways, on a lot of the things we've explored in season two, I want to ask my white listeners something, because this is something I've been thinking about myself. And you'll, once you hear the question, you'll understand why I don't, I'm not asking my black listeners this question as well. But I want to ask my white listeners a very important question and a, a question that I think we all need to be honest about. It dawned on me just the other day that as we are wrapping up season two of this podcast, but it's been about a year since this podcast project, this podcast experience, that sounds so badass, experience, has begun. This season one of this podcast began during the summer of 2020, a summer that we all know will have an outsized place in history books in future years, a summer where phrases like Black Lives Matter were on the lips of almost everyone in the country whether you were speaking with love and support or whether you were speaking with angry, anger and hatred and distrust and mistrust. And I would be lying to y'all if I didn't tell you that the events of the spring and summer of 2020, starting with the murder of George Floyd, but building throughout the summer, 
weren't the inspiration for this podcast. I think that's obvious, especially they're not repeat listeners. And so it dawned on me that as we wrap up season two, that it's been about a year since this journey began. And because of that amount of time that has gone by, I want to ask my white listeners a very direct, and I'm, you know, as you all know, hopefully you know by now, I'm asking this question of myself, and I'll answer it. I want to ask you all a very direct, significant, important question. And the question is, the question is, are you still as active? Are you still as committed? Are you still as engaged in fighting against white supremacy, in fighting against systemic racism, in fighting against individual acts of racism as you were a year ago or six months ago? That's the question I want my white listeners to think about. And I want you, like I guess all the questions I ask, I want you to answer it honestly. Are we, the white folks who are in this conversation, who are listening to this podcast, who self-identify as being part of the movement to end racism in all of its forms, to end white supremacy in all of its forms, are we fighting as much, as diligently, as thoroughly, as avidly as we were fighting at this point last year? And I suspect, if you're being honest with yourself, that your answer is similar to mine, that your answer is no. That for whatever reason, whether it's sheer exhaustion, whether it's the fact that maybe you didn't realize the cost of being committed to this fight, what it was going to do to your personal life or your relationships with other white people, whether it's the fact that you think significant progress has been made. I really hope it's not that one because I'd be like, what the fuck are you watching? But whatever the reason, I want you to ask yourself that question. I want you to answer it honestly. And then I want you to think about what that answer means to you. Because I know for myself, if I'm being 100% honest, the answer is I'm not as committed. I'm not as plugged in to the fight. And I'm not saying that's the worst thing in the world, but it's obviously something I need to be aware of and think about what my next steps are and what my continual steps are in fighting this fight. And the reason, and hopefully it's obvious by now, but in case you need me to build that bridge, the reason I'm only addressing this question to my white listeners is because my black listeners have to fight this fight every day, whether they want to or not. And so white listeners, as we approach the year anniversary of your favorite podcast, I just want you to ask yourself that question. And I want you to keep asking yourself that question. This year, this month, next month, next year, what the fuck am I doing to fight white supremacy, 
to dismantle systemic racism, to dismantle legacies of white privilege. And if you're unhappy with the answer, then do more. Whether that means becoming more involved in local politics, whether that means doing more at your workplace, pushing for uncomfortable conversations and changes related to diversity and inclusivity and celebration, whether that means having more conversations with the people in your lives, your aunts, your uncles, your brothers, your grandparents, your best friends, your college roommates, whether that means joining more community organizations. But if your answer is, I'm not doing as much as I used to, then do more. Or figure out why you're not doing as much as you used to. And then do more. Or do something differently. So, that's not the focus of today's podcast. But as I said, as I reflected on where we are, where we were, or where we are, I combined were and are into the word er, where we are in the calendar, where we are in the calendar, it dawned on me that we are now on the verge of completing two seasons, 20 episodes of Journeys into Whiteness, and it's been about a year since this project, since this experience, since this extravaganza began. What are you doing? How are you doing it? How are you continuing to fight the good fight? That's what I need my white listeners to ask themselves and to continue to ask themselves. And please, for the love of God, I think we've talked about this already. Don't go ask your black friends and family members and acquaintances and coworkers what you can do. Listen if they're telling you what you can do, but don't ask them. Figure that shit out on your own. Don't make them responsible for your efforts in dismantling white supremacy and dismantling systemic racism in all of its various, often less than visible forms. All right. Thank you, like always, for allowing me a few moments to tidy up. Now... I want to focus on the heart of the matter in episode 10 of season two. And just to give you a brief overview, remember season two has been tracing various experiences that I have had beginning in about fifth or sixth grade all the way through middle school and into high school. Episode three, sorry, season three, episode one of season three is going to pick up with my freshman year in college. And Jesus, college alone might take up most of episode three. So, we'll, I mean, season three. Why the hell do I keep making that mistake? Anyway, so season 10 is not necessarily a macro look at my high school experience, but it focuses on more than one singular event. And see, episode 10, damn. Can y'all tell I hate editing? Because I'm just going to keep correcting myself and you're just going to have to keep up. Um, I think anyone who's listened to more than one episode is like, yeah, we can tell you hate editing. But yes, episode 10 of season two, we're going to take kind of a macro approach to my entire experience as a high school student, as a high school person, as a 
older teenager, so from the ages of about 15 to 18. And it's a confessional episode, this episode is. And I have a confession to make. And this confession is going to drive our entire discussion. And of course, we're going to take that discussion in myriad different directions. But I have a confession to make. And I'm going to use a word one time in this episode that I'm never going to use again in this episode because this word is just problematic on so many levels. And it's just phonically way too similar to an even more fraught term. But my confession is very simple. From the age, beginning at the age of about 15 or 16, and probably up until my 20s, we'll we'll explore when this time period actually ended in season three. But beginning in my mid to late teen years, here's my confession. I was a wigger, proudly. I wanted to be black, or at least I thought I wanted to be black, or at least I thought I wanted to be what I thought was black. That last statement is probably the most accurate articulation of how I felt at the time. I thought I wanted to be what I thought was black. For my younger listeners, I don't know if you know that W term that I just used. I'm not sure if it's still part of the vernacular for young people. But it means pretty much what you think it means. And it's kind of got multiple meanings, but they're all tied into the same concept. It is either, it either means a white N-word or a wannabe N-word. And in either, either instance, it refers to a white person particularly a white boy, particularly a teenage white boy, who quote-unquote acts black or acts stereotypically black, whether that's through the music, they listen to the clothing they wear, the vernacular they use, the colloquialisms they use, presents themselves as someone who wants to be black or wants to be thought of as black or wants to be as black as possible despite not being black, despite being obviously, and by obviously, I mean visually and even culturally white. And that's my confession. I was that. Proudly, I wanted to be black. Beginning, like I said, maybe the age 15 or 16, maybe even sooner, but 15 or 16 is when I think I was most conscious of it. I wanted to be black. Or, I should say, I I thought I wanted to be what I thought was black. And although the W word that I just used a second ago, I don't know if that's still in existence. I know this cultural concept, especially amongst teenagers and especially amongst male teenagers of white folks acting black 
is still very much a thing in American culture, as well as its inverse, which is black folks acting quote-unquote white or acting stereotypically white. And so I want to explore all of this stuff as it pertains to my own experiences and try to unpack as much of it as I can. And I don't know, like always, if I'm going to unpack it all successfully. But that's kind of the fun, right? And that's when you can reach out to me and you can email me and you can text me and you can call me and we can continue the discussion because that's the whole point of this podcast. This open-ended discussion about racism, systemic racism, white privilege, white supremacy and all that. So let's, let's start with that statement. I wanted to be black or I thought I wanted to be what I thought was black. And the roots of my feeling that way, I think, are pretty obvious to most of my listeners, I would imagine. In many ways, in the last 50 or 60 years, and even going back, honestly, if you, you could almost argue that throughout the 20th century, beginning with the explosion of jazz in the 1920s, but in many ways... There are aspects of black culture, whether it's music, whether it's fashion, whether it's black or African-American vernacular. Sometimes people refer to it as Ebonics, although I think people misuse that term more than they use it appropriately. But there are aspects of black culture that throughout the 20th century have been promoted and viewed as cool. And so for me... And this is one of the most heinous parts of my desire to be black. It was a very, very selfish, very much a culture vulture approach to the whole thing. I wanted to be black because to me, black was cooler than white. Plain and simple. What I thought of as black music, rap music was cooler than rock music. What I thought of as black clothing, which in the 90s and into maybe the early 2000s, was baggy clothing, or at least, like I said, stereotypically black clothing, was baggy clothing, often athletic gear, jerseys and, and the such. I don't think I need to go into too much detail. I think my listeners, regardless of your age, can probably paint that mental picture for yourself. But I need to point out how selfish that desire was. I told y'all, this is very much a confessional episode. I wanted to be black because I thought black was cool. And what teenager doesn't want to be cool? And I'm not going to beat myself up in this episode. I'm not, not going to try to because we've talked before about how useless an emotion guilt is and how self-pity might feel good if you wear it for a few moments. But really, the more it, you keep that clothing on yourself, the more it stinks real quickly. So I'm not here to beat myself up over trying to identify with a stereotype and, and my desire to be cool, because that's part of what being a teenager and a young person is, trying on new identities, appropriating cultures or so-called cultures or stereotyped parts of cultures. And it's not always related to race, obviously, but I don't think my desire to be cool is unique in any way. Even 
as as we grow into adults, I don't think that desire lessens nearly as much as we pretend it does. But that was the first thing we need to talk about. I was just being selfish as fuck. Wanted to be black because I thought that black was cool. The second part of that statement is that and this, I guess, goes back to my articulation from a few minutes ago. I wanted to be what I thought was black. In other words, I didn't know then, nor do I know now, what it's like to be black, nor will I ever know. And if I'm being 100% honest, I didn't want to fully know. Because white kids, white teenagers, white adults who want to be black, what we really want is all the so-called, anyway, all the so-called positive benefits of being black. But we don't want the negative benefits. We don't want to be shot and killed by police officers in the street. We don't want to be murdered by law enforcement. We don't want to be followed in department stores. We don't want teachers to immediately think we're troublemakers and think we're less intelligent than our peers. We don't want the mothers of the girls that we want to date to think that we're unsuitable. We don't want the legacy of generational trauma. We don't want that part of being black. We just want, like I said, what we think is the cool parts of being black. And we don't even really want to be black. We want to be stereotypically black. And whether we know it or not, we are squarely within a long tradition in this country. Basically, we're, we want to wear blackface like a minstrel show. And for my listeners who aren't historians and aren't trained in U.S. history, I encourage you to Google the word minstrel or minstrel shows or minstrel shows in the U.S. Because there is a long history in this country going back to before the Civil War. Minstrel shows really started popping up, I would, I would say, probably 1820s and 30s. And they were as popular in the North, if not more, than they were in the South. The minstrel shows were white actors, and I'm using the word actor loosely, who would wear blackface and travel around the country and put on performances. And in blackface, they would act out very stereotypical representations of black individuals, both men and women. And they would do so typically for laughs, for selfish gain, because those laughs would then lead to people buying tickets and that would put money in their pocket. So what I was doing in the early 90s in high school and into college wasn't much different. Yeah, I wasn't acting black because it was going to make me money, but I was doing it for selfish reasons. I was doing it for to gain at least what I thought was social capital. And so for my white listeners, I need you to understand whether you've ever acted black or thought you've acted black or don't see a real problem with it. I need you to understand how my behavior in the 1990s was part of a continuation of something that had begun back in the 1820s and 30s in this country and still continues into the modern era, the idea of white people appropriating, stealing, borrowing parts of 
various black culture or cultures, because I think in that word culture implies a singularity, and we're going to get to that in a second. But I was really acting out a stereotype. I was really just trying to be a very specific kind of black. And it was in no way based on reality. It was based on what the media presented to me, based on what record company executives presented to me and televisions and movies presented to me, and based on what my black peers presented to me. But the word presented is important. It wasn't a granular knowledge or a granular transformation, cellular transformation I was looking for. I was looking to be a stereotype. Baggy clothes, African-American vernacular, rap music, there you go. So not only was it selfish, that's the first part that's, that we need to talk about. We talked about that already. But it fits squarely within a long line of cultural appropriation amongst white people towards black cultures. And then thirdly, and I've already kind of hit on this point a little bit, I don't, I know I didn't realize, and it took me years to realize, even as I grew out of the idea of wanting to be black, because there are still various parts of my my lifestyle and how I present myself that, that kind of, not kind of, that are borrowed from quote unquote black cultures, I didn't realize how much I was really using white supremacy to create a stereotype of what I thought was black. And that's what I was trying to mimic. And we've talked about this a lot in season two. We talked about it in some of the episodes when we discussed Roots and the autobiography of Malcolm X. But what I was doing was not celebrating black culture or cultures as I thought I was. Because even when I was conscious of wanting to be black, I didn't see it as an insult. But in many ways it was. And the insult wasn't that I was necessarily trying to make fun of what I thought was black culture or my black peers, but that I wasn't really seeing my black peers or seeing black culture in all of its most multifaceted nature. I guess the point I'm getting to is I don't know if there is a black culture singular. And my desire to be cool blinded me to that fact. And so in my selfish albeit understandable, impulse to be cool as shit, I was actually perpetuating stereotypes about what a black person is. And I think that's something that I see, even as an adult, a lot of quote-unquote well-meaning white liberals doing. And we do it when we discuss voting patterns, and we do it when we discuss education in inner city communities. And we do it when we discuss culture and television programs. And we do it when we discuss our friends. Is that we fetishize and stereotype black culture is as one thing. When in reality, 
there isn't a singular black culture. There isn't a singular black community or a singular black experience. And we understand that when it comes to white folks, right? We allow for a multitude of experiences and outlooks and behaviors and fashions and musical tastes when it comes to white folks. But when it comes to black folks, white people and white liberals and white woke folks and white people who who have invitations to the barbecue are often most guilty of this. We like to put black people in this really narrow box and then celebrate it or pretend to celebrate and fetishize it and think that we're somehow doing doing the world a favor by, by simply reenacting a stereotype that's older than us. And so we need to be mindful, white folks, that, that we're not repeating the same pattern I was repeating in 1994 and 95. And I don't mean just in our clothing and the music we listen to. And we've talked about music this season as well a lot. But I mean in how we conceive of and talk about and talk to and interact with black people. We need to be mindful of not narrowly thinking in singular terms. Because another thing, and we'll talk about this in season three, as I get to my freshman year of college, I know I was guilty of this as well. My definition of what black was was so shaped by white supremacy and so shaped by the media and so shaped by notions of consumer culture and being cool that black people and black communities who didn't fit my notions of blackness almost made me angry, or at the very least made me frustrated, and I discounted them, or overlooked them, or ignored them, or disdained them, if I'm being 100% honest. And that's another one of the dangers of wanting to be black, of fetishizing blackness is that it almost always narrows the black experience so much that all it does is reinforce these negative stereotypes that now any black person who doesn't act in this stereotypical fashion, I don't even really consider them black. And so I'm just reinforcing these negative stereotypes that black people are thugs and wear baggy clothing and light rap music and talk in a specific way. And my black listeners... Unfortunately, I know that many of you have experienced this from both white folks like myself, but also from other members of the various black communities that you're part of. Because we have this weird, and weird's not the right word, but this fascinating, that's a better word. We have this fascinating interplay in our society still to this day, and I see it all the time as a high school teacher about acting white and acting black. And much of what I've talked about already was my rebellion against being labeled as as acting white because there wasn't a lot in white culture that was cool. And I hear many of, I've heard in many classrooms before, students even playfully 
being referred to as acting one race or the other. And I was very proud. Like if someone called me the W word or said I was acting black. And even to this day, if I get an invitation to the barbecue, which isn't the same thing I realize, but it's sometimes related. I'm, I'm, I wear that like a badge of honor. Especially if other white people would say it. Or really black people too, right? Like that would even be the highest compliment at one point in my life. Black folks tell me I acted black. But there's a, that's a problematic phrase, right? Because it's almost impossible to say that without limiting what black is. And it speaks to the idea that stereotypes created by white people and that support white supremacy and that punish black people for not conforming to them are then used to justify the continuation of inequities in white supremacy. And how white supremacy is so enduring that marginalized communities can start policing themselves. And I know my black listeners have experienced this, where other black people are confronting you for not being black enough for whatever reason, for not conforming to a specific stereotype. That's the enduring power of white supremacy where this negative stereotype that's not fixed, but, but flexible and malleable, but still has some really enduring characteristics, how that negative stereotype that was created centuries ago almost, yeah, we're in the 21st century, so centuries ago, can still endure. Now, I also realized, too, that within various black communities, the the very legitimate fear of being swallowed whole by whiteness also leads, I think, certain individual black people to hang on to stereotype views of blackness and stereotype definitions of blackness as a way of resisting being swallowed whole and resisting kind of the dangers of being assimilated completely by white culture. And so I know that being told or telling someone they're acting black or acting white has a multitude of meanings depending on who who the assessor, who the judge is. But I know to circle all the way back to my original confession is that I wasn't doing, forget about what I was doing to myself in terms of being inauthentic. That's a whole separate discussion and that's not honestly something I'm really worried about, especially as a teenager. Or even a human, right? Like, who is fully authentic? I don't even know if that's something we can define. Forget about that. But think about the damage I was doing to the various black communities and various black people that I not only interacted with as a teenager, but that I would interact with as an adult. By being so obsessed with being cool and so obsessed with a stereotypical view of black maleness that I wanted to mimic it, that that obsession limited my understanding of black cultures and black communities and the black experience and how it's rooted in a a multifaceted mosaic and it's not a singular story. And that even if that multifaceted mosaic and even if those various communities have some common features, 
they're not in any way identical and the experiences of the various black people in those various communities are nowhere near identical. But I'm, I'm ashamed to admit how old I was before I pro- that probably even dawned on me. It's probably more recently than, than I'd like to admit. Because I was so obsessed with being down and being cool. That all I was really doing was reinforcing stereotypes that were not positive, that were not helpful, that were not anti-racist, but in all actuality, the opposite. So that's why I think this episode is so important to wrap up season two, because it kind of touches on all the topics that we've discussed in this season. And it's something like this idea of me wanting to be black is something I don't want to soon forget because I still think if I'm not careful, it can inform my behavior. As a father, as a friend, as a teacher, as just a member of various communities who interacts with people from around the world. I want to make sure that Honestly, I don't have a definition of blackness because as soon as I define something, it becomes finite. It becomes limiting. And I have many educated black friends who in every way have experienced the challenges of being black in America, but who have had to face criticism from both white and black folks that they somehow weren't black enough because of their level of education or because of their career choice or because of their usage or non-usage of African-American vernacular. And I think that all grows out of cultural systemic white supremacy that dates to even before the popularity of menstrual shows. But I think menstrual shows in the 1820s and 30s is a good kind of starting place just for myself and to think in timeline terms. And so we'll explore this concept even more moving forward. But I want to let y'all know that as a teacher, and as someone who thinks of himself as a fairly good teacher, it's been a long season. It's been a long year. And so it makes sense that this episode is going to wrap up maybe a little bit sooner than some some previous episodes. Not a lot. I don't want to not make sure you're getting your money's worth. But I want to let y'all know that this discussion of acting black and defining blackness in narrow terms is not done. And in fact, it's going to pop up in episode one of season three, my freshman year in college. But I need my white listeners, like always, and I want to leave y'all with some homework especially. I need you to think deeply about a couple of things. First of all, think deeply about that question that we started this episode with, about what are you still doing? And if you're not still doing what you were doing, why not? And what can you continue to do to fight this fight? Because simply listening to my podcast is not going to do much. Simply thinking deeply, that's all, albeit a start, is not going to do much. There have to be action steps. 
So that's what I want to ask my white listeners. What are your personal action steps? What the fuck are you doing? But then I also want you to think about that second issue, that second question. And it's a personal question as well. And it's the question I explored with my confession about wanting to be black. How do you view blackness and define blackness? And is that definition singular or is it multifaceted? multi-leveled and varied and diverse. And how does that definition shape the food you eat and the words you use and the clothes you buy and the way you talk and how you interact with various black people? So that's your homework, white folks. Like always, y'all be safe. Y'all be good, and I don't mean well-behaved, but I mean be good, be good to yourselves, be good to each other. Season three will show up at some point, end of the summer of 2021, beginning of the fall of 2021, and we'll continue this journey, we'll continue this discussion. Like always, you can reach me at jameslincoln313 at gmail. You can also message me directly on Facebook. Otherwise, I'm not really on social media, but if you message me on Facebook, it'll show up in my app. And we can continue this journey together and continue this conversation together. Thank you. 20 episodes feels like an accomplishment. I don't know if it really is, but it certainly feels like an accomplishment. So thank you as well. If you've stuck through all 20 episodes, peace and love. I'll see you all soon enough. I'm out.